Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. How we doing, Mercy Church? Yeah, we're doing good. Well, hey, if you're new with us, we are in a, um, in a series of sermons where we are walking through the Old Testament book, the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon. So if you want to make your way there, feel free to go ahead and do that um, as we get kind of set in here. Now, here's the deal. The Song of Solomon... This is a, a book in the Bible that the Lord specifically dedicated to dating, marriage, romance, and yes, sex. And we are talking about all of that. But what's really important, what we're trying to draw out every week, is that the more we can understand God's love for us, the better equipped we will be to walk in our relationships here when it comes to human love. And so what we said is kind of the theme, the thing we hope that you walk away with every single week is that God is love, God made love, and God gives love. So I will pursue his way of love in my life and we'll understand our relationships here uh, in this world based on and kind of fueled by, modeled by God's love for us. It's all his every week. We're just talking about how we walk forward in his way of love. Well, last week uh, we started with kind of an introduction to the whole book. Last week I walked through chapter one and the first few verses of chapter two, and I tried my best to show you what a godly man looks like. And this week we're talking about what a godly woman looks like walking through this same little bit of scripture. All right. My hope is spending these first two weeks highlighting the man and the woman is that we'll understand who we are as individuals, who God made us to be. Because when we get that right, we'll be able to navigate dating and marriage in a godly way that leads to our flourishing. But what I think many of us have seen is there's a huge problem in relationships where people get into a relationship without knowing who they as an individual are. They got no identity. They got no sense of direction. And so then they rely on the relationship to define who they are. And that leads to all kinds of dysfunction. But when you know who God made you to be and you're walking forward in that, well, then, then you're able to approach a spouse or potential spouse as the fellow sinner that they actually are, you know, and not your savior. Huge deal. So today we're talking about a godly woman and you might think, well, uh, what right do you have to speak about being a godly woman there, pastor? Um, well, I do want to acknowledge out of the gate that I'm not a woman. All right. Uh, I recognize it a little bit like a Catholic priest doing marriage counseling. Okay. That's got no experience in the matter. All right. But, um, you know, that's okay. Listen, I can't relate experientially to what you're going through, but I'll tell you, man, one of the best talks, this is why we're a church family. One of the best talks that I have ever heard on manhood was given by Karen Loritz, an African-American woman in her seventies. Now, experientially, she and I are very different. 
But she stood before a group of pastors earlier this year and offered empathy and a really needed word based in God's word and in her experience as a woman, particularly how important um, we men are in leading our homes and how important pastors are in leading their churches um, to choose our families before our ministry to lead with courage, but also gentleness. And this came from her station where the Lord has placed her as the wife of a pastor for many, many years. It was a very powerful word to us. Because she based it out of God's word and spoke. So I'm going to do my best to speak truth from God's word. That's what I can do. And hopefully you can give me a little bit of grace where I missed the mark experientially. Uh, I told you last week we have several women that speak into our sermon planning process to ensure that anybody who preaches truth does so with compassion and awareness. And after that, look, I've run this sermon uh, by my wife, Courtney, and she had veto power over all of it. Um, Y'all, I've known her since I was 15 years old. It has been a gift to me to be an observer of God's transforming power in her life. I was there the day God saved her. I watched her follow Jesus into womanhood. I've watched her build friendships, become a mom, become a spiritual mother to many. And I could go on and on. Emmy speeches ain't got nothing on the speech I could give about Courtney Shelton. She's a godly woman. And this sermon is better because of her presence in my life over the years. I will say just as your pastor, I love you. I'm so grateful that God builds a a church family and that we are to walk together. It seems like it's a very, I don't know if it's probably, I'm sure it's always been this way, a very challenging time to be a woman right now, though. The world around us is so confused about what it, even what it believes about womanhood. Like, have you noticed this? There's some views in the world that will tell you womanhood is just a state of mind. So anyone can be a woman. Then others say, no, 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 no. Being a woman is all about using your body to get what you want. And they treat you like you're a commodity. And then others will tell you, no, women should be exactly what men are and should do everything men do, but more gracefully and with perfect makeup while you do it. All right. And what we see out in the world is all these worldviews are fighting amongst themselves. And I look at that and I think, what a moment we have as the church, you women, especially to show God's better way as you walk forward in his design. What an evangelistic moment you have just in living your life the way that God has blessed you and enabled you and empowered you in Christ to live it. And so my hope, y'all, is to, is to just kind of fan that flame today. Because I know some of y'all grew up in churches where there were some confusing messages on womanhood. Some came from, come from this idea where women got to stay in the house, on the prairie, and never speak, and you're only good for making biscuits and butter and babies, right? That's it. But then you got others that go to the extreme opposite, even in the church, and say, no, there's no real substantive difference between the man and the woman God made. It's just different plumbing for the sake of procreation. And honestly, I ache over that because God's design is beautiful, and it's my job to show it to you. And I told you God's word offers clarity and hope. This is week one, and it stays with us. Clarity and hope about who he made you to be. So we're going to look at that. We're going to follow a similar pattern that we did to last week. We'll walk through the passage, and as we do, I'm going to observe about, I think, six characteristics of a godly woman. Now, like I said last week about men, this isn't everything God has to say about what it means to be a woman, okay? That would take a long, long time, and I'm thinking about all these different women in Scripture that we're not going to see today. I named my two daughters after two women in Scripture, Esther, uh, whose Hebrew name is Hadassah, and then you got Elizabeth. I'm like... 
These, there are so many examples and models of godly women we're not going to touch today. This specifically, a lot of what we're going to say is going to be guided by the Song of Solomon chapter 1 text, which means it's going to connect to how she relates to her man, just like last, last week's sermon on manhood, connects a lot to how he relates to his woman. But I'm going to start actually over in Proverbs 31.30. Here's why. The same guy who wrote Song of Solomon, because it's the Song of Solomon, Solomon, he wrote Proverbs. He wrote Proverbs 31. And the kind of woman he's depicting in Proverbs 31 is the same kind of woman in his mind that's over in Song of Solomon 1. It's just in Song of Solomon, we're zoomed in on her relationship with her man. So like we started with character last week, I want to start with character this week to set us up. Proverbs 31.30 says this, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Solomon recognizes God has given women both charm and beauty. These are a gift, good gifts, but they're not who you are. Good gifts, but not who you are. Pretty words and pretty looks. They don't last. Right? I mean, if you got a little bit of extra money, you can make your pretty looks last a little bit longer, right? You can nip it and tuck it and liposuck it. But eventually, you keep doing it, you're going to look like the Joker from Batman if you keep doing that long enough, right? You know that. They don't last. They might mask who you are for a while, but they're not the real you. God says your value is not in your ability to impress others with charm or looks. No, your value is determined by God. And what brings you honor is your relationship to him. A woman who fears the Lord will be praised. So I want to start with what I think is the most important thing we're going to talk about today, about who a godly woman is. A godly woman is surrendered to the Lord and being changed by the Lord's grace in Christ. When we read, she fears the Lord, we got to remember we're on this side of the cross reading that, knowing that the Lord has come to us in the form of Jesus Christ. And to fear the Lord means to surrender ourselves to him, find our identity in what he says about us. And if you're in Christ, he calls you daughter, calls you daughter. And he says, you're his daughter forevermore. Now, as a daughter of your first mother, Eve, you're going to be tempted to run from what God says about you and what God calls you to. That's how sin works. So before we get any further, let me just call you today. Let nothing else, let today be a fresh call to remember the salvation that you have been given in Christ Jesus and to rest afresh again in that salvation. Because what you need to thrive as a woman in this world, it comes only through abiding in Christ's love for you. It's John 15, 9, you abide in him, make your home in him, and then you'll bear much fruit. He loves you. I'm going to talk a lot today about how valuable you are to God. Psalm 139 is going to come up a lot. I'm sure you are fearfully and wonderfully made. All right? You are. And the world, the reason I say that is because the world determines your value by your utility, and that's garbage. But that garbage is something you could easily consume if you are starving for security and love. And so you need to hear over and over, you need to abide in God's love for you, or you'll be tempted to settle for trash, a trash worldview that could come and comes in front of you all the time. The rest of what I have to say builds on that foundation. Through Christ, God has reconciled you to himself and offers you peace in him. He calls you his own. We're here to equip you to walk in that identity, right? In fact, you got on your seat when you came in today, that Q4 Bible reading plan. We just read through the Bible together as a church over the course of the calendar year. And that's just the last three months of the year, what we're going to be reading. Start there because the best thing you can do is actually read 
what God says to you and about you. Now, with that set up, let's get into Song of Solomon 1. We'll start in verse 2. This is the woman, the Shulamite woman. She's leading off. Oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your caresses are more delightful than wine. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. This is her talking to her man. Your name is perfume poured out. We talked about that character last week. No wonder young women adore you. Take me with you. Let's hurry. Oh, that the king would bring me to his chambers. The woman speaks first. We covered this, by the way, a little bit um, last week. You'll hear me referencing that because in many ways this is like sermon part A and, and part B, I think. But man, the fact that this whole text is largely, much of this is the woman speaking. And this is her. This is a huge deal in ancient literature that she would be speaking. The Bible exalts women. And I want you to remember that. But what, what you see here is that as she speaks, she in, she's encouraging his advances. She doesn't just grab him and kiss him. Now later, in the intimacy and security of their marriage, she does do some romantic initiating. You go over and you look at chapter 7, and she invites him out on a picnic, and it gets real spicy. All right? And look, surprise, spicy picnics, those are good and healthy in marriage. Okay? I want to encourage those. But here at the start, a pattern is established where she encourages his leadership in the relationship. And it happens several times early on. And that's a big, that encouragement, look, speaking courage into, that's what that word means. It's huge because I don't know, ladies, you may not realize this, but we men are very insecure creatures. That's the effect of sin on us. God has, according to Ephesians 5, called us to take the lead in our marriages. And what this woman does is set an encouraging tone towards his leadership right out of the gate. Last week, I told you a godly man uses his words to build up. We eventually got there in the list because he doesn't speak until verse 8. But you see a very similar thing here. And it's the next thing I want to show you about a godly woman. A godly woman uses her words to encourage to speak courage into, to breathe courage into people. Look at the way she talks about her man and talks to her man. She knows this guy isn't perfect. No one is. But she encourages him and she doesn't do it. Look, she encourages him and she celebrates his reputation. He is good enough for her. In fact, she's excited to be his queen Chapter two is going to say she's delighted to be under the shade of his tree and under his banner in the banquet hall. And she speaks it. She tells him as much. In this book, she is going to call him a stag, a mighty cedar of Lebanon, and a king among men. Not just any king, her king. I mean, I'm going to tell you, there is about nothing more confidence building, more courage building for a man than to have his what for a husband than to have his wife showering him with praise like that. It's confidence building. Husbands are being told, here's a, look, the reverse is to look at our culture. Husbands are being told by Hollywood, like all the time, every movie that comes out, they're nothing but big, dumb idiots. Every movie, don't ask dad. He's sitting over there being a, a clumsy dummy who can't do anything. Ask the fish. The fish will solve the problem and win the day. The dad's a dummy, Right. Don't reinforce that narrative. Your encouragement and his true role is what's going to help him off the couch and in action. Let's expect more of one another. In chapter 5, she's going to praise him to her friends even when they have a fight. Like they have a fight, her friends are going to be like, what do you see in this guy? 
And then she lays out all these things. She's going to say things like his arms are rods of gold and his body is an ivory panel. And when he hears her saying that, fight over. All right. Time for spicy picnic fights in the background. All right. It happens. My point is, women, your words are incredibly powerful for building up or for tearing down. I just want you to know that. It's what God has given you. He's gifted you that way. And God has some strong words to say about your words. Particularly, I want to talk to wives for a second, then I'm going to expand this out to, to everybody. But I want to, look, this is hard for me. Like I said earlier, how hard it is to be a woman right now. The last thing I want you to leave here with is some sense of discouragement. I see, I see what Courtney goes through and now I'm raising daughters. I want them to be encouraged in who God made them be. It's what I want you to walk out of here with today. But also at the same time, I'm not going to shy away from where the Lord does give some words that are particularly to you wives that, man, I want you to heed them and respond um, as the Lord convicts you. But that he gives some strong words uh, to women when you use your words to tear your husbands down. Proverbs 27, 15, an endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are alike. Proverbs 21, 9, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. That word nagging is used repeatedly in Proverbs in our English translation to talk just through a constant sense of correction and complaining, correction and complaining. Wife, if all you do is tell him what he's doing wrong and what he needs to do better, it's drip, drip, drip. You're like, why is that a big deal? That's torture, all right? That's what it's trying to communicate there. And over time, men become a shell of who they were called by God to be. I'm not blaming you for his mistakes, okay? That was all lack. Go back and listen to last week for who he's called to be, all right? What I'm saying is your words are powerful. That's what God's word says here. And so what happens is over time, they either will fight back flee or shut down altogether. I know you don't want to be nagging like it says here. Nobody does. But what you think is helping the constant correction, it's not. It's not. Encourage him in his leadership. He's not Jesus. You know that. I know that. All right. This is why you need Jesus. Because that man, me, when I think of Courtney, me, I'm going to keep disappointing her. All right? It's just a reality of being married to a guy. He's going to keep disappointing you. He's not Jesus. So stop trying to make him into Jesus and then getting frustrated that he ain't Jesus. Instead, you need to spend more time with Jesus so that you can love him like Jesus and then help encourage him in the man that Jesus has called him to be. Amen. Through the Holy Spirit, I promise you, your words will help him. Now, not empty words, not manipulative words, but you spending time before the Lord, praying over him. Man, and then encouraging him, that is going to help strengthen him for the man God's called him to be. Now, let me go beyond dating and marriage, okay? Women, we need your words in the church. Sisters, we need your word, your words in the church. I grew up with brothers only, so I never experienced this in the nuclear family. But as a part of a church family, I've experienced this several times where sisters in Christ have seen me, have been so perceptive over what's going on in my life, what I'm thinking and feeling, what God's doing, and spoken encouraging words to me in my calling, in my marriage, anything else. And it's life-giving. I mean, yes, just yesterday, we had a friend um, who's been a friend of ours for over 20 years, I feel like. I feel so older saying that, but it's true, all right? Um, I have friends, that, not elementary school friends, like adult friends, friendships for 20 years. And um, she came by the house and was on her, she doesn't live in town, but she was here. And man, for like two hours, 
Man, just ask me, hey, do you got people who are holding you accountable in your life? Um, how's your marriage? Just talking with me and Courtney. Spence, I see this in your ministry. This is so great. Hey, you need to watch out for this. It just saw me, even from a distance. And it was so life-giving. I told you, we humans are insecure creatures. We can be torn down so easily by just a few words. Why not build one another up? Not with empty words, with Jesus' words. So search the scriptures, speak God's word over people. Take the word of life. Ladies, take the word of life and speak it over your brothers and sisters and what they're going through and, and call them up and who God made them to be. When you do that, that's lying, it's, it's like laying a brick in the foundation of the house that God is building them into. So powerful. In fact, I want to pause right here for the, um, you know, I gave soul work to husbands last week. I want to do that for, for wives this week and then for all of us. Not surprisingly, it's going to be the same thing because we need a whole lot more of this. And repetition's a good thing. Hopefully we'll get to the point where we're building rhythms, habits of encouragement. So wives, identify something specific you love about his character and that ivory panel, okay? Something you love about his physical appearance and you tell him about it. But then soul work for all of us. Identify something specific and Christ-like about someone's character that you see and tell him about it. Let's get in the habit of using our words to build up. I hope that's one of the things that comes out of, of this series. Allow the Lord to use you to build up others. Leads me right to our next verses. She says, um, oh, excuse me. The young women say to her, we will rejoice and be glad in you. We're going to celebrate those caresses more than wine. Last week, I told you this group of young women um, kind of jokingly way to understand it. This is her bride tribe. Okay. Uh, what's important is that they're her friends. That's what you need to know. They see the relationship. They know the guy and looking at the relationship, knowing the guy, they celebrate what God's doing here. This is so powerful. A godly woman surrounds herself with godly friendships. I can't stress godly enough. I'm talking about having some women in your life who love Jesus. When I said Proverbs 31.10, you see those women fearing God and being changed by his grace. You see not their Instagram faith, but their actual walk with Jesus faith. Right? Scripture says walk by faith, not post by faith. All right? You need to, have, you need to be in their real life. See their real life. They need to be in your real life and see your real life. That's why Proverbs says, better is a friend nearby than a brother far away. All right, same thing is true. Better is a friend nearby than a sister far away. And hopefully over time, those, those friends become sisters. A godly woman surrounds herself with godly women who will point her back to Jesus. In my experience, far too many Christian women have Christian women friends who don't point one another to Jesus. You're just nice to each other. Listen, the Lord has used Courtney and several of you women to help me learn the power of being gentle in my words and actions. I am still very much a work in progress, but I am far better because of your influence on my life. That's God's image coming out of you and blessing this brother and I know many others. But godly friends aren't nice. Godly friends are kind. A nice friend will tell you what you want to hear. A godly friend will tell you what you need to hear. And listen, Satan would love nothing more than for you to have the illusion of Christian friendships because you were nice to each other in a mean world. But all the while, 
you would still be totally isolated from the power God pours out in your life through true, kind friendships. Because a true friend will tell you what you need to hear. She'll do it in love and gentleness, but she'll confront you when needed. She'll encourage you. She'll say, I see Jesus in you here. She'll bring God's word to bear on your life, confront sin with kindness. These friends, these kind of friends are treasures. Because I've seen this in both genders. All right, when a friend actually confronts poor judgment or sin in your life, a moment where she's lovingly trying to call you towards Christ, there's a temptation to pull away. I've seen it happen. That could be a breakthrough moment, and instead, shoo, up go the defense walls. You start figuring out more excuses not to hang out. You stop returning texts. Sometimes you even drift back to your non-Christian friend group because, hey, they won't say hard things. You have, Of course they won't. They're nice. They'll say what you want to hear. What's happening there is you're caring more about the approval of others than your own godliness, than about what God says over you. Proverbs says, better the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy, but you think the opposite. I'd rather have Satan stroke my ego than a friend correct me in righteousness. If that's you, man, go to Jesus fast. Again, that's, that's the big thing I want to encourage out of here. Go abide in Christ's love for you. Make your home there. You need the security that he gives you. You need to experience his love, find security there, and then ask yourself a couple of questions. Listen, do you have any friends? Do you have any kind of friends who have said godly things to you that were hard to hear? Just do you even have them? Has that been, uh, I don't know, take the past 12 months maybe. It was good. Do you have any godly friends nearby who have said things that have been hard to hear? And then the second question after that, did you receive that with thanksgiving or did you draw back? Have you drawn away from them since that moment? I love these women in Courtney's life. I was out of town a couple of nights earlier this week, and so I'm coming back in on Thursday, and I asked her, I was like, hey, I'll get a babysitter. Me and you can go out together because I want to spend some time with my queen. I miss my queen, right? So I want to spend some time with her. And she said, actually, I made plans already to go out with Meredith and Mandy. We're going to Olive Garden because Olive Garden is Meredith's favorite restaurant. You ever get to meet this Meredith, um, you'll see that. But, you know, immediately I was like, hey, great, go. I'm glad because I know those women lift her up. She lifts them up and my wife flourishes, right? She's got those kind of women in our community group and our church. It's a gift. And married couples, you got to make room for this in the calendar and in the budget for these friendships. They are important to her health and to your marriage. This is your pastor saying, husband, shepherd your wife by encouraging her to have some godly friendships. And when you, by the way, this is another sermon, but when you stay home with the kids while she goes out, that is not babysitting. That's being a dad. Okay, another sermon, but come on. All right, thank you. Thumbs up in the back, my man. All right. All right, let's keep going. She goes on to say in, in verse five, daughters of Jerusalem, I'm dark like the tents of Kedar, yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark for the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me take care of the vineyards. I've not taken care of my own vineyard. I'm going to put these two things together because I think they overlap so much. A godly woman is humble and hardworking. It's just the way verse 5 and 6 flows. I feel like they're together. In this book, what you'll see several times, this woman does not think highly of herself. She calls herself a lily of the valley. She's just not overly impressed with herself. She's humble. She calls herself dark because her, her skin has been kissed by the sun. That's not self-loathing. There is a big difference. All right? 
As Tim Keller says in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, tiny little book I would encourage you to read. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You know, she's got a job, maybe, maybe two, it seems like. Um, she doesn't have time to sit around and pamper herself. Um, and by the way, guys, the opposite of this is a woman who is idle and entitled. She does nothing hard in her life and has everything handed to her. If that's been her life, she will bring that expectation into your marriage. And yikes. Okay? The reason this guy is attracted to her is because he sees beauty not just in her looks. Are you catching this? This isn't Hollywood. Like after all, these, all this time in the vineyard, after taking these goats everywhere, she's got to take them, right? She's all of a sudden going to like walk up, take off her glasses, and it was a supermodel all along, right? Like that she's all that thing or something like that. He's not Freddie Prince. You know, I'll get, I'll get lost there, right? No. He sees what a hard life has done to her, but he sees her humility and her work ethic. It impresses him. And in all of that, he finds her very attractive. Because look, I know um, people, some people have said, I'm sure somewhere that my wife, Courtney, is not perfect. But her being raised in a single wide trailer living on a beef cattle farm, it's been a gift to me as her husband. She is a humble, hard work. She knows what it means to get up early, go to bed late, work hard. Anyone who knows us will tell you that if there's a diva in our marriage, it ain't her. Okay, that's just the way that, that's the, we'll just say that. Um, far too, I'm not saying it's me. Some friends have said it's me, so I have to listen to them and, and go off. But y'all, that humility that, that Courtney has, that tireless effort she has to serve others. Who else do I see in that but Jesus? And that inspires me to follow that Jesus. Whoever heard, I want to follow that Jesus. She says, tell me, you whom I love, verse 7, where do you pasture your sheep? Where do you let them rest at noon? Why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Last week I told you what she's doing here. She wants to come visit him at work. Still true, but now I want to show you something else that's happening here. There's something about this veiling. One who veils herself beside the flocks, that's what a prostitute did in their day. And she's making sure this guy knows that she has sexual standards. That's not who she is. She's not going to compromise her holiness to get a man. And I want to say it right here. A godly woman does not compromise her holiness and romance. This is both for single and married women, both. You know, right here, she's interested in this guy. She's making that known, but she's also letting him know what kind of woman she is. She's a woman who fears the Lord. She does not fear what that guy thinks about her. And she will not compromise her identity in Christ for God to like her. Ladies, listen, if he doesn't respect you now, let me talk to single ladies first. If he doesn't respect you now before marriage, what makes you think he's going to respect you in marriage? That kind of guy, that's a boy. And that boy still needs to grow up. Don't have anything to do with him right now, okay? Other than to point him in the direction of some other brothers in the church who can help him grow into the man God's calling him to be. I'm not saying, this is big, that she does not have sexual desires. Look what she says in chapter 2. This is chapter 2, 4 through 6. He brought me to the banquet hall. He looked on me with love. Sustained me with raisins. Refreshed me with apricots, apricots, depending on where you're from. For I am lovesick. May his left hand be under my head and his right arm embrace me. That is a desire to be with him in bed. 
And this book celebrates that desire. And she realizes holiness and sexual desire are not in competition with one another. Because if God created us to be holy and he created us as sexual beings, those don't contradict one another because God's design never contradicts itself. They only compete when sin creates the lie that says you cannot be a holy person and a sexual person. But from a biblical perspective, that's ridiculous. In fact, if God created you, then not only is there such a thing as holy sex, but holy sex is the highest and greatest form of sex. We'll talk about more in a few weeks when we talk about sex. What she's saying is she's not going to compromise God's gift of holy sex. She's waiting on it. That's verse 7. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field. Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. You're going to see in a couple chapters the appropriate time is coming. It's deeply fulfilling for them. And if any guy is trying to get his hands on you before he commits his whole life to you in marriage, drop him. I, right now. I mean, maybe at the end of the service. Like, I'll go outside and deal with that. But, you know, <laughs> I'm fine, though, if you're just like, yeah. Um, this is the only real charge. This verse, it's like the only real charge in the book outside of God. And it's one verse where he says, listen, you two, enjoy this gift Enjoy this gift of intimacy that I've created for you. This is the charge. Man, and guys, let me say this to you. Um, first of all, if, if that's you and you can't, you don't have self-control, again, you're still a boy, you need to grow into being a man. Um, and, and I really want to help you with that. I got two sons and I'm trying to raise up into manhood. So it's not me just trying to shame you. I genuinely want to help you with that, but that's got to happen first. And secondly, please remember that until she's your wife, she's your sister in Christ. You shouldn't be doing that to your sister, all right? Don't do that. Go back to last week for the value God speaks over her. Married women, let me talk to you for a second. This idea of, of holiness and romance, I want to implore you to pursue it as well. Uh, this, this was actually kind of a blind spot to me that I, I learned as I walked through this message with some of our team members this week. Um, especially those of you who are married for a few years. Don't give yourself to anything less than God's best. Don't settle for fantasies of men like Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever else the current version is. Culture is propping up fantasy people that are fake. You can scroll through a thousand of them in an hour on your phone, but they're just fantasy. It took those 15 seconds that you see took hours and hours of crafting. They're getting paid to do it. They don't know you. They don't care about you. And when we ingest these fantasies, they subtly distort our reality in all kinds of toxic ways. You think, why would I work hard to fan the flame in my marriage with this guy that I see in front of me. So you settle for cheap substitutes that you try and get to satisfy what is a right and good desire for romance. All the while your fantasies can create bitterness towards the husband God gave you because it doesn't measure up. Leads me right to the, to the last thing. Verse 12, while the king is on his couch, love this, my perfume releases its, its fragrance. The one I love is a sachet of myrrh to me spending the night between my breasts, the one I love is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyards of Engedi. She longs for him. This vineyards of Engedi, Engedi is an oasis in the middle of a desert. And she's saying, in the desert of the hard things of this world, the desert of this world is, he's an oasis. A godly woman delights in the man God gives her. I said the same thing to the men last week, so it's true here too. He is Engedi to her. He's an oasis. 
and both his presence and his affection, they are delightful to her. She treasures this man and the provision he provides. You look at verse 16 and 17. How handsome are you, my love? How delightful. Our bed is verdant. That's green. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are cypress. You go to verse 2. Like an apricot tree among the trees of the forest, so is my love among the young men. I delight. See this delighting? This treasuring, this enjoyment, I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Now, husbands, I told you last week, it's up to you. God, not it's up to you. God calls you and in the Lord's strength, you're to provide that security for her and then she will flourish in delight. What's happening is that as she delights in the engetti that he creates for her, she is becoming engetti to him. An oasis of love in the desert of this world. Her one guy, a little bit more of a... Uh, a little more of a redneck pastor, but he said, um, guys, unless you provide in Getty for her, she can't be in Getty to you. And if you try to make her in Getty to you, she's just going to respond to in Getty off me. All right. That's the way that I was like, that's good old, good old redneck. Um, it was really good, but look, you can't expect her men to treasure and delight in you when you don't treasure her as God's gifts to you. But wives, let me ask, do you delight in your husband? And if you're bitter towards him, frustrated towards him, look, there's probably, I don't, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know every situation going on right now. And there may be some real pain, okay? And scripture has so much. Talk last week about Hosea and Gomer and how there is God's love available to you to walk through some real hurt in your life that I do not presume to make light of in any way. But God's love will see you through that in Christ. And we've got people here to help walk. We want to walk with you. That's the godly friendships. That's what the church family is all called to be. And a godly woman, listen, all these things that I've showed you, a godly woman's not godly because of any of these things. They're fruit. These are the fruit of a woman who knows her value and worth in Christ. In Christ. Listen, you have a noble high calling. You have a God who has equipped you for it. I know we've been specific to romance here today. That's good. But your value is in who God says you are. And if you're in Christ, he has called you daughter. He has said that he is with you. You are a gift, not only to uh, your friends, to your family. You're a gift to this church. And we want to call you up to what God has made you for, to flourish in your gifting and calling as a sister in this church family. Uh, last week, what I did to close us is I took a moment and just stood the men up. And spend a moment just praying over them. I, we're going to do the same thing, but a little bit different. Um, I'm going to ask my wife, Courtney, to make her way up here. We talked through this and just felt like this would be a good thing for, for her um, and a good thing for you who are sisters in Christ for her to pray over you. So, um, ladies, I want to ask you to stand up um, as we both honor you and call you up. And then this is, by the way, is not a... It's not where Courtney loves to be, um, but just believes it's the right thing, good and right thing to do. Get it, babe. Okay, so first, I want to say I love you guys. That's where we got to start. Um, second, I want to say that I just want to encourage you to think about the reminder that God gives us in Psalm 139, that he loves us and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we need to remember that encouragement. If you are in here today, though, and you are feeling shame 
or bitterness or hopelessness, I want you to know that Christ can heal that. He loves you and he wants what's best for you. And he wants to be with you while you walk into the woman that he has called you to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's pray. Father God, thank you for my sisters. I pray they leave here encouraged, not with a list of things that you have given them to do, but with a vision of who you have called them to be. Convict them of sin where it is needed. Give them courage to repent of sin and turn to you. Renew their joy in their salvation. Give these women strength to walk according to your design, and may they flourish as your daughters and bring glory to you. Thank you for my sisters in Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Fellas, why don't you stand up? Ladies, you say standing. Let's keep worshiping together.